you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to take them and uh, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 6, and we'll read a verse uh, and then some others here in a little bit. Uh, My wife uh, is in the hospice industry, um, and of course I am a pastor, and so as you can imagine, that has led us to be at the bedside of several people, many people who have been in the process of dying, who have gone through that very thin veil between life and death. And it is a very thin veil. Um, And that moment that the veil is breached, what we have learned is, is a moment that can be very sacred or it can also be very scary. It can be a moment full of hope. It can also be a moment full of dread. And what I believe is that it oftentimes reveals who we really are and what we really believe. Um, A quick Google search, uh, if you just type in this phrase, dying statements of the unsaved. So you type in that statement in Google, you're going to be probably a bit disturbed at the things people who have refused Jesus have said in their very last moments of life. Uh, Like French philosopher Voltaire. Um, Early in his life, he was famously, he famously said, in 20 years, Christianity will be no more. And then he went on to say, my single hand shall destroy the edifice it took 12 apostles to rear. He was really full of himself. He was very proud and cynical. But as he was dying, a Christian doctor was the one who was tending to him. And he looked at that doctor knowing that he was a follower of Jesus. And he said, I am abandoned by God and by man. And then he looked and said, I will give you half of what I'm worth if you will give me six months life. He was desperate. Of course, the doctor could really do nothing to help him. But after asking and begging for that six months of life, he looked at the doctor again and said, then I shall go to hell and you will go with me. And almost in blasphemy said, oh Christ, oh Jesus Christ. Some think that Voltaire was converted in his last moments. Most people don't believe the case. And his death as described by this doctor, was one of madness to him because he could not control what was happening. Acts 6 and 7 paints for us a different picture. Paints for us a picture of a young man named Stephen and the final day of his life. And these two chapters are profound. Stephen, uh, the, the name Stephen means crown or garland like a crown that they would give a victor of a game, an Olympic game, or a civic leader. And as you read Stephen's story in these two chapters, you realize that he was perfectly named. He was named appropriately, for he showed us how we too should live and how also we should die, faithfully following Jesus and receiving the crown of life that Jesus himself has promised. Stephen was an amazing man. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 5 of chapter 6. 
Because Luke describes him in this verse as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. A man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. There's only one other person in the book of Acts that is described this way. His name is Barnabas. We talked about him last week, right? The son of encouragement. We'll talk about him again. In chapter 11, verse 24, Barnabas is described this way. He is a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. You know, being filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit was something characteristic of all the disciples during this time. And of all of those that were being added to their number, they were coming to an understanding that Jesus came and died for them and that he purchased for them salvation. And as they received and accepted him and followed him in baptism, that they too would receive the Holy Spirit who would fill them, this earthen vessel, with the very presence, the Spirit of God. The Spirit was showing up Everywhere in this book, every page you turn, he's showing up or filling up or falling down or baptizing them and changing their, their very lives, their direction, their course of life. Everything was changed because the Spirit of God had filled them. They were promised this Spirit in Acts 1 by Jesus. And sure enough, in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, were they filled, baptized with fire. And then in Acts 3, Peter and James on the way to a temple saw a lame man and they said, we don't have any silver and gold, but what we do have, we'll give it to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that man was healed. And because of that, they saw all sorts of ruckus and people coming to the Lord and wanting to know how this was happening. And in Acts 4, they prayed again and said, Lord, we need your help to speak your word boldly. And you know what happened? The Holy Spirit came again. The Bible says that he filled them in the house where they were in Acts 4. And they, be, they began to speak even more boldly the word of God. The Holy Spirit's showing up in every spot in this book. Everywhere you look, almost every page, there's some reference to the Spirit and His leading and His guiding and His filling and His direction and his, even His resistance to Paul at one point. The Spirit of God was the main character of the book of Acts. Like in the house of Cornelius, a Roman centurion, he called for Peter because he was a devout man, but Peter's telling them about Jesus, the Messiah, and as he's speaking, the Holy Spirit shows up again, and he fills the place where they are, and they begin to speak in new tongues. And then Paul is in Ephesus one time in Acts 19, and there are 12 disciples who are devout, and they've heard of the baptism of John, but they've never been baptized in the name of Jesus. And so Paul tells them they should be baptized, and so they are. And as he lays his hands on them, the Bible says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues and prophesying. These were not Jewish people. They were Gentiles, and the Spirit poured himself out on them. Just as John the Baptist had been promised, Jesus was baptizing them in the Holy Spirit and in fire. And Stephen was no exception. 
He had been filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was speaking about Jesus, the scripture tells us in chapter 6. And he was speaking with such wisdom that others could not withstand it. And which is exactly what Jesus promised that would happen. That we wouldn't have to worry about what to say. He would give us the words to speak in those moments. And you got to know the fruit of the Spirit is just popping all out over, over Stephen everywhere he is. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit is, is an evidence that the Spirit is residing within. And that's an evidence for us as well. Paul says in Galatians what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's love, joy, peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness, gentleness, and my favorite one, self-control. It's my favorite one because it's the hardest one for me. (laughs) And out of Stephen's heart, no doubt, flowed rivers of living water. I mean, they are just flowing out of him, which is what Jesus said about the Spirit. He promised it to all of those who believed on him that they, everyone who believed on Jesus would receive the Spirit so that rivers of living water would gush out of their innermost being. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Now let me say to everyone here today, the reason I take these moments to talk about this and how important it is, is because it is just as crucial for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. It is just as crucial for us that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Especially our young people. We've got our children here with us today, our youth. Could I just get your attention right now real quick and say to you, here is my earnest prayer in these days for you, that you would be filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit that all of us would, that we would not let our bias or our prejudice or our fear or our anxiety or our worry what others might think get in the way of us being fully abandoned to him and letting him, letting him fill us with his spirit to change us and direct us and mold and make us. I want to encourage you to make it the top priority on your prayer list. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, and some of you have not had an experience where he has filled you in such a powerful way that you know that's the Holy Spirit. He filled me up, and I'm different, and there are gifts exercising in me, and there are expressions of the Spirit happening to me, maybe prophetic utterance, maybe insights and discernments, speaking in tongues. Those are evidences of his infilling, and then it produces fruit in us like we already read about, those nine things. If that's not happened in your life, would I encourage you, and I, I do, make it your top priority list. Your prayer list. Make it on the top. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me. I want all that you have for me. The fullness of your spirit within. Baptize me. Fill me. Ignite me. Engulf me. That out of my innermost being, rivers of living water will flow. You see, this generation is thirsty. The generation you live in is thirsty They're dying of thirst, though trying to quench it with every liquid imaginable. 
They're dying of thirst and they need not only for you to be filled, but for those rivers to be gushing out of you that they too can have a drink. Stephen was this kind of young man, a young man full of the Holy Spirit. But we also read the first part, right? That he was full of faith. A lot of people, when they read that, he was full of faith, think that it means he was faithful. And it says he was full of faith, and they think, well, full of faith means faithful, right? And on one level, I think that's, that's true. I do see partial truth in that. Of course, Jesus calls us to live faithful lives. He said, when you're faithful in a little, you'll be rewarded with much. But I'm not sure being faithful is all it takes to be full of faith. You see, I know a lot of people, I've known a lot of people who faithfully do things. They're faithful in showing up to church. They're faithful in reading their Bibles. They're faithful in saying their prayers. They're even faithful in giving their tithes and their offerings. But the critical question for them is not whether they are faithful, but whether in doing these things, they are full of faith. Do you hear me? Do you see the difference? Where faith is what motivates them and it, and it compels them and it stabilizes them when things are shaky and where faith causes them to trust God for something more even though they can't see it. Where faith propels them into every aspect of life and where when they give their offering, they're having faith rise up in them to say, Lord, use this for your kingdom. And when they pray their prayers, they're having faith rise up and saying, I know you hear my prayers and you answer them from above. And when they are faithfully shown up at church, they're not just checking a box, but they are full of faith that they'll meet someone that they can encourage and strengthen and edify and even challenge according to scripture. Full of faith is more than just being faithful. To do things out of routine, or duty, or obligation. It's not the same thing as living full of faith. God wants us to believe him. He wants us to step out of the boat and trust that he'll meet us. He wants us to not shrink back when the enemy comes against us, but full of faith, trust that we can resist the enemy and he will flee from us. And he wants us to have faith in God after all. It's impossible to please him without it. I think Paul speaks of both faithfulness and being full of faith in his first letter to Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Both faithfulness and fullness of faith are spoken of here. Paul said that he is judged faithful by Jesus, which is good. It helped him. Faithfulness was a benefit to Paul. And it was something Jesus chose to use. He appointed him to service. 
But he also said he was overflowing with faith and with love, which are found in Christ Jesus. He's speaking not only of what he can do in being faithful, but what God will do in giving him faith and love. Stephen was this kind of young man. While he certainly was faithful in all that he did, he was faithful in service and action. They, they appointed him along with six others as the new deacons of this thriving, growing, and massive church. He was faithful. But the part that really made him noteworthy was that Stephen was full of faith. If someone could say a compliment to you today, faithful's good. Full of faith is better. But wait, there is more, right? Your kids are being so well-behaved today. I'm so proud of you, and so are you parents. There is more, this description of this young man named Stephen. Look at verse 8 in Acts 6. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and of those of Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place, the temple, and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Stephen was not only full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, he was also full of grace and of power, doing great wonders and signs among all the people. We understand grace as God's unmerited, unlimited favor. His grace poured out on us through Christ Jesus is what enables us to belong to him, to be his children. God's grace had definitely been poured out on Stephen. And it, it flowed out of him everywhere he went. But I think it goes beyond that. I think the grace that he was full of is even more than that. You see, in pre-Christian times, the word grace was used to describe the appeal of one's speech or demeanor are used to describe the grace that a beautiful woman might have, as in the writings of Solomon would indicate. It suggests beauty and symmetry and rhythm and elegance and loveliness. Now, I'm not saying that Stephen acted like a girl. All right, that's not what I'm saying here. He wasn't effeminate. And that's not what I'm thinking. What I am saying is that he possessed an attractiveness about his character that drew people to him. 
There was a magnetism about him, a grace that impacted people. When he was around, they took notice. Even the council that he was dragged before took notice. Verse 15 says, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. They couldn't take their eyes off of him. I want to ask you, can God's grace accomplish that sort of thing in us? Can, Can God's grace knock the rough edges off of us and all of our bristly personality traits that get in the way? Can God's grace change us such that we're attractive to other people? I think so. I've known people, you probably have too, who are so full of God's grace that their demeanor, their appearance, even their personality changes. It becomes magnetic. I think we would all agree that Lucille Walker was one such person. She was not only full of faith, which she was, and not only full of the Holy Spirit, which she was, she was full of grace. And people liked being around her. She said for us in all of her 91 years, not all of them because she didn't know the Lord, all of them. But from the moment she met Jesus, she set for us an example of what it means to be full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And yes, full of grace that is attractive to all people that come around her. John Wesley once said, one of the advantages of the grace of God is that it makes a man a gentleman without the aid of a dancing master. Which is really good news if you've seen me on the dance floor. People full of God's grace have a magnetism about them. They are appealing, an attractiveness, an appeal, a a charm that draws other people in to wanna know what's so different about you. For grace not only pays for our sin, making us recipients of grace, but it also changes us in the process, making us dispensers of it as well. So Stephen was full of faith and he was full of the Holy Spirit and he was full of grace and also full of power. The Bible says he was doing wonders and signs among the people and it reminds me that such things are not limited to the apostles. He wasn't one of the 12 apostles. Yes, he was appointed as a deacon, but it seems that he was already these things as he was being appointed. And so it helps us understand that God does some of his best work in ordinary people. He uses all of us, not just a leader, an apostle, a pastor, an educated person. He uses everyone. It's easy to look at the book of Acts and just think, well, they did amazing things because they're apostles. But ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit can do everything an apostle can do. Jesus said his followers would do even greater works than him. And he said, because I'm going to the Father and I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. And that means that some of God's greatest miracles are designed to happen through you. Think about that. What is your 
life in this moment? How is it limiting the power of God being demonstrated through you? Where is your faithlessness or your short-sightedness or your lack of devotion to him, your engagement in his presence all the time, practicing that presence? Where is it in your life that you have hindered the very miracle working power that the Holy Spirit wants to do through you? Not through the pastor or your small group leader or the youth pastor or an elder, but through you. We all are called to have those kinds of things happening in us. So all of this is why this young man, Stephen, who was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit and also full of grace and full of power, is such an example to us in how we are to live, but also in how we are to die when that time comes. How to cross over into the presence of the one who is watching. Let's look how it concludes for Stephen. He gives a message, which is chapter 7, and I'm not going to take the time to read all of that. But at the end of chapter 7, verse 54, after giving this most profound message to the Sanhedrin, this is what happens. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. I just love the visual that that is, grinding their teeth at him. I guess that was exhibiting tremendous rage on their part. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. There's another sign of rage. I'm grinding my teeth and stopping my ears. Sounds like a child throwing a temper tantrum. I can't hear you and I'm going to grind my teeth at you. And so they stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of another young man. His name was Saul. We'll hear about him more. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen was so full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and full of grace and power that he spoke an incredibly profound and pointed and piercing message to the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin. They were enraged. They hated him. But Jesus, <laughs> he loved him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him to death. But Jesus stood up. He stood up and took notice. Everywhere else in scripture, we're seeing Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. But in this moment, Jesus stands up. And he receives Stephen 
into his presence. And as Stephen was dying, he spoke almost verbatim the words that Jesus himself had spoken while hanging on the cross. Lord, receive my spirit. And Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He left this earth just as Jesus had died on the cross. That, my friends, is the way the believer should die. How about us? Can it be said of us that we are full of faith and of the Holy Spirit? Is the grace of God, the power through the Holy Spirit operating in our lives where we even see greater works than those performed by Jesus? Are we living fully for him, with him, and in him so that when the day arrives, we will meet him? And our death will bring glory just as our life has. May the Lord use this story to challenge and change us, to fill us anew with his spirit, for we need it. And may these things be said of us one day when we go to meet Jesus face to face. Amen. This morning, we're going to gather at the Lord's table and receive the Lord's Supper. And um, it's a time of special meaning for us. We do this every first Sunday of the month. If you are in Christ Jesus and you believe in him and on him, then this table is for you. This is not specific to our church. It's specific to the Lord. It's his table. And so as we gather in a moment, around these different four stations, we encourage you to come. Couples are going to come and gather the elements. And in fact, why don't y'all go ahead and do that now, if you don't mind. They're going to be stationed along the front here in four places. And what we encourage you to do is to come as small groups, your family, maybe with others. If you're single, make sure you pair up with somebody. They'll probably pursue you and try to get you to come with them. We're a family, a spiritual family. And so we'll gather in circles and they will, they will allow for you to have the bread, which is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the cup, which is the cup of the new covenant, his blood given for us. And they'll have us all take it together as your, in your group and then pray for you as you go. For those of you that might want further ministry, maybe with respect to what God is saying to you today, an elder and his wife will be in this corner and then also over in this corner. And they would be happy to pray with you further than what you have at the communion time. So I'm going to let Donna share what is on her heart. And then we're going to pray for the elements, for the bread, and for the cup. I recently read a phrase about being transformed by grace so that you can participate in the transformation of others with grace. Hmm. And I really loved those connecting words, by grace and with grace. Mm -hmm. And it felt like, again, this today, what Patrick prayed over us and testified about God's heart for us yeah. was designed to help us hear this word in a way that is enabling and transforming and not condemning 
he started out again today saying, I'm here to do this in you. Right. So if, as Chris was preaching about the wonder of Stephen's testimony and how powerfully he lived and died, the Holy Spirit nudged something in you that doesn't line up with that picture, now is not the time to turn your ears off and accept defeat. We're going to the communion table where you can receive absolutely everything that is lacking, missing, needs to be corrected, redirected, refocused, recalibrated, any word you want to use. Um, So my prayer for us is going to be this from Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, his grace, the gift of faith that he gives us, offer yourselves as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God, for this is true worship. A friend of ours, Joseph Garlington, um, also known as the bishop, he taught a message years ago on cosmic worship. And he said, the point of worship is that you give what you have, believing and full of faith, that God takes it and uses it for his purposes across the world, in the heavens, for people you don't even know, not connected with you at all, that when you worship, you are laying it out for him to do anything he wants, anywhere he wants, for any body he wants. so So today, our true and perfect worship is to come and take communion, believing, being full of faith that God is going to use that. Yes. For exactly what he wants to have happen. Yes. In you, yes, but also well beyond us. Amen. Let's pray together. Sorry. Father, thank you again for your incredible kindness and tenderness towards us to give us the solution before you give us the test to give us the answer before you weigh us and show us where the scales don't balance. Father, from the beginning, you have been the beginning and the end of all things. That's right. You are the one who has called us, who has saved us, who is keeping us, who is perfecting us, transforming us, and using us. And all of that is because of who you are and not because of who we are. And there's rest in that, Lord. You are here today through your Holy Spirit to meet each heart, to consider each thought, to value each life and to bring your kingdom to bear. And when we take communion in your name today, everything you are is available to us. And we want to bring everything that we are, not just in this moment, 
But as Romans teaches us to be living, ongoing, perpetual sacrifices in worship to you. Yes. And your transforming power of grace and love. Yes. Lord Jesus, we know that it is in you where all the fullness dwells. And so when we talk about the fullness of faith and the spirit and grace and power, it's all because it rests in you and you have freely given it to us. I pray for everyone today that may be struggling with the emptiness in their own life, experience, or walk with you. May their emptiness not rule and reign the day, but may your fullness be given to us that we might be in you fully. We receive today now at your table those elements, your body and your blood, which have been given for us that we might have life in you and that our sins might be forgiven. As we receive today in community around your table, we're joining with all those who came before. As Brian Emmett says, it's a long table. And all those who went before us who gathered at the table, we're gathering with them. And we're also gathering with all of those who will come into your kingdom and also be at the table with us. Thank you, Lord, for the long table. Help us receive your fullness at it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.